0: Even you, master of the Knights of Rant, have never faced such a test. So who talks first? You talk first? I talk first? Hello everyone, and welcome to the first solo episode of Who Talks First slash Knights of Rant, but it's actually, it's not solo, it's a CT and a lot of you have been requesting this podcast or a video on the matter for a while now, and I kept telling everyone that I was going to be holding it off until after The Last Jedi because I feel like so much on the subject is going to be answered on both sides of the coin very soon. So having a podcast come, about, come out about the matter might seem a little redundant when we're going to get answers so soon, and all this argument may be for nothing. Honestly, the insensitivity of this fandom towards other people got me real riled up, and being a dick is not okay. So to quote Dame Judi Dench, what's the deal with Raylo? This may or may not be the discussion for you. For some reason, this topic has been almost as heated as Ray's parental debate. And if you've never heard the term Raylo before, bless you. But I do recommend, if this topic is not something that even is sort of up for discussion for you, to pause this podcast right now, stop it, and listen to something that will bring you joy. For example, there's a really funny vine of this girl looking at a field of geese, and she says, look at all of these chickens. It's hilarious. I watch it a lot. But I will also be talking about the criticisms for this theory, um, because I will start off with this. No one can help what they initially feel about something. If something reads to you a certain way, that that's how you read it. I think feelings are valid... And often can't be controlled, but what it is not valid are death threats, bullying, and throwing around really disgusting terms at people who have different viewings of fiction. So if you make it all the way through this podcast and tell me to go go die, I'm really glad I could waste all of your time. Uh, I'm not here to change opinions, I'm mostly here just to explain why some people's readings and reactions of TFA have resulted in the interest of this dynamic. Also, Star Wars fandom again, don't be a dick. That's all this... I mean, if you want a long story short of this entire podcast, that's what it is. Uh, Raylo, for those of you who don't know, is a nickname for the dynamic between Rey and Kylo Ren. Now, I could say ship name, which it also is, but before we do our deep dive into it, Raylo, at its core is an interest in the dynamic and connection between these two characters as set up in The Force Awakens. No, it is not just a fascination with them making out as their characters stand, A part of the wider fandom just thinks that's all it is and has just reduced it to that. Intro. How was I introduced to this pairing? I initially was a pretty diehard Rey Skywalker walking in and out of my first viewing of The Force Awakens. I thought it was pretty damn obvious. Uh, Clearly that's what they were doing. Rey was going to be Luke's daughter. My boyfriend and his friends, a group of 20-something-year-old men, brought the idea of Reylo, Rey Kylo to me. So before... I hear another person tell me that this is something for delusional fangirls. This ship was brought to my attention solely by a group of five adult males because they all thought that this was what the movies were setting up. I still thought Rey was a Skywalker at the time, but I went to go see the movie a second time and a seventh time. The idea of their dynamic playing a bigger role in the franchise, having that idea in your head, let me tell you how much that changes your viewing. Uh, You start noticing lines like, whoever you are waiting for on Jakku is never coming back. But there's still someone who could, which really insinuates that Luke is not her father. You notice that there's no real line or hinting that there's a missing family member or someone that's long lost to them. That Ray Skywalker, as a theory, was built on the basis that the lightsaber has, had just chose her over Kylo and that the fact that the uh, Star Wars episodes movies are based around the Skywalkers and that Kylo doesn't count for some reason. Now, I'm not saying it's impossible for Rey to be a Skywalker. It's not impossible. I know there are a lot of people who still want her to be, and it's not impossible, but at this point, I really, I no longer feel like this theory has any real backing besides Ben Solo's last name not being Skywalker. So again, we continue. What's the deal with Reylo? Why has it divided the Star Wars fandom in half? I think it comes down to a few things. That's what we're here to talk to you about. And I say we because it's just me, but I'm uh, just me. I personally approach Star Wars as a personal allegory about growing up and becoming an adult. Others view it as a political allegory to reflect today's social climate. Um, there's a tons of way people relate to Star Wars. Uh, both are true, neither are wrong. But I think how you approach it drastically changes how you approach the characters. I mean, I'll, I'll keep breaking because before you go looking for a fight here, again, I'm not saying either viewing is necessarily wrong. This is not to say anyone's viewing is wrong. There's just... Me saying there's alternative ways of viewing a film and having it relate to you that I mean it's personal to everyone and we, we don't have the future installments of the movie yet um, so I'll be sharing my personal feelings on the matter and why it's led me down this particular path of theory. I think we should begin with the character of Ray. everyone's shining beaking of light, optimism and hopeful and happy as a clam. That's how fandom seems to view her, except for she's not. She's broken, angry, and scared for most of the film. Of course she has her moments where her light side prevails, but we also chip away the darker parts of her psyche, which I doubt is going to go untouched for the rest of the rest of the trilogy. We know that in the editing room and in some reshoots, due to comments from JJ and the differences in the novelization, in earlier cuts of the film they were finding Rey to be a bit unlikable. Uh, for example, in the original cut she has no problem selling BBA 8 to Ankar. She deactivates BB and, like, yeah, give me the food. It's only in the last second where she decides against it. She was pretty cold in the, in the beginning of the movie. She, acts, she has acts of kindness, but she doesn't want to be bothered by the aftermath. For example, BB-8 following her home Shrek-style, where BB-8 offers to make her waffles in the morning, to straight-up attacking Finn and snapping at him pretty constantly throughout the first part of the film. We're seeing cracks in her hardened exterior from years of abandonment. The idea of a bigger world... Um, then hers excites her though, like hearing about Luke Skywalker meeting Han Solo and then Chewbacca. Her world is starting to get a little bit bigger and we, we see some moments of joy. But then it gets like way too big, too quickly and it's scary again, reality sets in. Uh, she starts warming up to Finn and he decides to leave. Han has no interest in going to the Resistance to help complete this mission. And suddenly she's kind of, she's alone again. And there's this, call the, this calling to this hidden away saber that Maz seems to have for some reason. Full-fledged terror strikes the Force vision. Clearly, clearly this is a first in her recollection. It shows her some pretty terrifying images of the past and future that she has no context of. But the most interesting part of the vision is the fact that Kylo seems to be the only one that can directly see her in this vision. But understandably, this is terrifying for her. She didn't sign up for this and Maz... Tries to talk her through it and tries to get her to sense the light and the force around her, but she just wants to peace out, so she runs. In a weird way, we we see the stages of the dark side from Ray. We we start off with this form of suffering, and we see this fear, and the film ends with her, very angry, with Ray's force powers growing pretty damn rapidly from going going from lucky hunches to invading the mind of a trained force user. That's a lot, a lot to take in in one day. And before someone goes shouting, "Mary Sue," n- n- no, there's like there's, no, there's no need to defend a female character gaining po- power quickly. Anakin Skywalker is the only excuse you need. There's there's no need to defend it. It it makes sense. This is her movie. But during her our saber battle, on Starkiller Base, when Rey gets upper hand, we sur- we see her turn predatory, and in the novel we have descriptions that she is consciously trying to stepping away from the dark side because in the moment she has the chance to kill kylo she feels this and then has to step away and before actually feeling pity for his pathetic state um at this time uh the the, whenever this podcast goes up uh, the last jedi has not premiered but we know that luke shakes up her abandonment issues a lot We end the film with the world cracking between Rey and Kylo and kind of splitting it up. And that's the only reason that took her away from from making a seriously dark side decision. She may have come to the conclusion on her own, but it looks like the Force needed to make that decision for her at this time of her life. Also, if you haven't read the novelization, the novel also hints Snoke is inside her head at one point telling her to kill Kylo. But Rey has a dark side to face. She does. She has a past to let go. She has anger and abandonment fears taking hold. She has to face her demons, and that's what's going to make her such an amazing character. It allows female characters to become, to have complex emotions to give her a stronger story arc rather than just being tough and stoic, because that's what strong, a strong character, female character seems to be. And uh, to me, that's just a toxic reading of what masculinity is, which is why we need to emphasize that character emotions, growth, and complexities is what makes character journeys strong, not literal, just, I can lift a big weight. That's, no, there's more to it. (laughs) Now the point of this is all just to talk about Rey's character and how she has so much more of a journey to go on. I mean, she's almost lost control in the past and if that control was now secure, there'd be no need for her to go on this quest to find a teacher. There'd be no trilogy for her as a heroine if she was all good after the first movie. At no point do Finn or Rey really accept their roles in this NTFA, which we know is going to be a plot point in both of them in The Last Jedi, given statements from John, from John, and Rey has a line about needing to find a place in all of this. Let's talk about Kylo's journey in The Force Awakens, and how the entire film is just him breaking apart at the seams from the second he notices that Finn didn't shoot. In this part, I will go a little bit more about his relationship with Rey, and why his character in particular is is very connected to hers Uh, later on in this podcast um, i'm going to be inserting past clips i've done on different topics so i apologize if anything gets repetitive here so just be prepared for some redundancy meet kylo ren who shows his most badass villainous moments within the first five minutes of the film uh yeah we can say killing his father in itself is the most villainous But if you think that action he did in full confidence in villainy, please show me the cut of the movie you were watching because I think we watched two different films. But he's at his most confident in those first five, ten minutes. Why? Why is this? Well, because first and foremost, it's to show you who's the bad guy. The First Order is evil. Blah, 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 blah. But then very early on in the movie, he notices that Finn doesn't shoot. He does nothing. He knows knows that Finn didn't shoot and Kylo does nothing. We think nothing of it first watch, but this is something you notice when you're on your, your third or fourth time. You know Kylo understands questioning your morals and doing what doing the right thing is. That little glance is the first dent in the armor that is Kylo Ren. He knows Finn didn't shoot on purpose. He interrogates Poe, that's his job. It seems like the usual process is that the stormtroopers come in and beat the crap out of you, but that doesn't work. Kylo comes in and just gets the information. Seems like a waste of time when you have a telepath next door, right? Uh, let's talk a little bit about how Kylo is written in the adult novelization. He basically loses all intimidation factor that he ever had. He apologizes to Loras Senteca, tries to give him some options, recites space poetry, admits that he finds great displeasure in doing interrogations and doesn't like doing it at all, and basically gets called out by Snoke for having compassion. Uh, the whole time it's very clear he's very unhappy, to the point where Rey, from her perspective, describes him as looking like a student who has like no interest in his studies. But interesting that the first dent that we see on Kylo is on Jakku. Where Kylo clearly has felt pretty confident in his dark side ness for a while now, ah, I am pretty sure there is a pretty significant character who is also on Jakku, right now whose uh, force abilities are just about to activate. It's slipping my mind at the moment. I can't think of who it is. But let's just like like let's just continue. This is where we get like a little a little speculative. Speculative. We've talked about our Harbinger of Doom theory a couple times in the past, but. It comes to play here, that when Kylo seems really threatened to know that another person has joined Finn and BB-8 in, in escaping, which he has, is, is understandably pissed about and he's pissed about Hux and the Stormtrooper training regimes, but this girl is what he takes personally. Many have theorized it's because uh, they knew each other in the past or that Kylo was the one who brought Rey there in, to Jakku in the first place. But right now, I'm on this pass of the Harbinger Theory. We started it off as a crack theory, but it's holding up, man. It's holding up. And that he just knows there's someone destined to rival or destroy him, and this girl fits the bill. A small sidetrack. I won't go into the entire Harbinger Theory, because we have a whole podcast about it. But the Harbinger Theory, the Theory of Doom, the Harbinger of Doom Theory is a theory basically where... There is essentially another prophecy that mistook Ben for Ray. And we've seen both Ryan and Mark use the term the chosen one for Ben, thinking that Ben was the chosen one. But so, yeah, there's a prophecy that mistook Ben for Ray, causing Ben to fall in Ray's place. But Ray's got this long journey to come ahead of her. And uh, long story short, Ray's kind of this super weapon in herself that I, I think she will be the super weapon. She or Kylo or a combination of the two will be the super weapon in Episode Nine. Uh, this is a much longer theory, but that is the gist of it. And if you look at her podcast titled "The Bringer of Death," you can learn about the whole thing. It sounds really cracky right now, but I like I swear it's actually really holding up. But yeah, basically, it's really interesting that the girl in particular is what worries Kylo so much. At this point, we already know Kylo is feeling this this pull to the light again after an absence of. Who knows how long? And again, this happens strangely close to when another character, it slips my mind, who could it be? Leaving Jakku and beginning to oddly have good timing when it comes to certain hunches. Uh, Who could it be? Uh, The the Kylo we were introduced to in the beginning of the movie just doesn't exist past the first ten minutes. He starts spacing out. He kind of lives inside his own little world. He knows something. He knows about something we don't quite know about yet. And we have the visuals, like the bridal carry, which starts to raise questions of, like, monster-slash-romantic subtext. And it continues to walk that weird, like, literary line when Ray calls him a monster and he reveals himself to be quite pretty. And, like, quite primped up. Uh, JJ compared him to a prince in the commentary, while earlier comparing Ray to Cinderella... And Ray describes his appearance from her point of view as being quite sensitive-looking in the novelization. I will now briefly sidetrack to my piece about fairy tale sy- symbolism in Star Wars. Please enjoy this side cut. A long time ago in a kingdom far, far away. Galaxy. I mean, galaxy. Star Wars to me has always read more of a fairy tale than it has science fiction. And I know a lot of people are already gonna rag on me and click off to this video, but guess what? I'm not alone in thinking this way. Mark Hamill, J.J. Abrams, and even George Lucas have all said that Star Wars more resembles the fairy tale formula. Fairy tales have been rehashed and retold in countless ways. We constantly see Cinderella stories being told, and The Force Awakens is even a Cinderella story a little bit. A girl that was probably born to a family of some significance, uh, her family can no longer be there for her, so she has to work in an unsuitable condition for a child until her adulthood. After extraordinary circumstances, she was able to escape that life against her employer's will. I find that a life much greater was meant for her. These kinds of stories are told over and over, but there's one particular parallel that I particularly want to talk about. It's probably the second most revisited fairy tale after Cinderella. Beauty and the Beast. So let's talk about some of these parallels within the themes of The Force Awakens. First, I want to bring attention to the amount of times that it is called out to dehumanize Kylo Ren in the script, referring to him as something other than a person. Rey does this twice. She calls him a creature in the interrogation room and then a monster later on in Starkiller Base. But it also happens a third time with Maz when she actually goes as far as calling the First Order Beasts. I even took the liberty to check the original trilogy scripts to see if these terms are also used to describe people. And it's not. This sort of terminology and dehumanization is very specific to The Force Awakens and specifically Kylo Ren. 3PO is the only character to ever use the term beast, and it's 3PO. And he uses it to describe the Jawas. But in TFA, we see a much stronger effort to really clarify that Kylo Ren in this state is not quite human. This is actually something that Rey is baffled by when he first takes off his mask in the interrogation room, realizing that he's just an ordinary person. She expects to see someone who is quite obviously villainous and scarred, which She takes it to her hands later, further pushing one of my favorite themes in Star Wars that we create the villains we think we see, but we also can create the heroes. By the Jedi not having faith in Anakin, thinking that he couldn't be trusted, that mistrust is what turned Anakin against the Jedi. They caused their own downfall by expecting it. But the faith that Luke had in Vader ended up redeeming him. Luke saw this potential for the light, and so therefore Vader saw this potential himself. But where we stand, Rey sees Kylo as this monster, and so therefore she is the one that turns him into the monster that she expected to see. Next we have the prince in disguise parallel. This one's a little more obvious, but we've gotten even more concrete canon from this recently, so I really just want to talk about it. Kylo Ren is the son of Leia Organa. Princess Leia Organa of Alderaan. So if his mom's a princess, doesn't that make him some sort of royalty? I would say yes in that, but a lot of people argue since Alderaan is no longer a thing that he really doesn't have a title to inherit and that his royalty is more of a fan vanity or is it in bloodline by claudia gray it is actually revealed that ben is in line of succession to his own royal title by a planet colonized by alderaan leia is offered that title she refuses and it's therefore asked if her son would be interested and she's like Oh, probably not, but the royalty stands. We quite literally have a prince in disguise. We also have a few music parallels, though probably these are mostly coincidental. There's one in particular that I really want to point out. Ray's theme is hilariously similar to the prologue to Beauty and the Beast. Like insanely so. If it weren't for the fact that John Williams says he doesn't really know the future of the story or who Ray's parents are, I would say this is 100% intentional. But it is possible that the Beauty and the Beast parallel is intentional, it's just not necessarily romantic. Which it doesn't need to be. This sort of story can happen with any type of love. The most heartbreaking love confession in all of Star Wars for me is Obi-Wan's confession to Anakin. There are great love stories in Star Wars that aren't romantic. Do I want to see The Force Awakens take that route? I think I'm fairly clear about my bias, but speaking in terms of themes, we did not need it to in order to make this parallel. But let's also talk about some of the visual parallels. There's a couple of them, one being the wilted rose that Ray keeps in her at house. Now most of these visuals are probably more coincidental, but I like bringing them up cause it's fun. But this rose could have been a visual callback to the infamous rose in Beauty and the Beast. We also notice the similarities between Kylo and the Beast in terms of how they destroy things. Both are very reckless and easy to anger. Sort of reckless aggravation is more specific to Kylo than it has been past villains. Kylo's saber swipes are very reflective to claw marks, and we can't forget about the infamous. You're my guest line. He even says it with a similar inflection. Now, what could this mean for the future of the story? As I've mentioned, this doesn't necessarily have to have a romantic context. Rey and Kylo do need to have a conflict specific to them, so Kylo is truly a next-generation character. Kylo needs to be relevant to characters outside the original trilogy. And given what we know about his character and his personal conflict, I assume we can see a certain pattern for the rest of the story. And come on, people, both of their human names are Adam. What is this? This Is this... These conspiracies. Kylo's treatment of Rey in particular is paralleled with multiple different characters. Poe and Finn both run into pretty similar situations with Kylo, from the interrogation scene to the possession of the lightsaber, but Kylo as a character only questions anything when Rey is the one who does the same things. The interrogation scene with Ray is telling, he unmasks her treatment is noticeably and intentionally different than Poe's as corroborated by uh, Lucasfilm sources. He first sensed something about her in the for- in-, in the forest. This is in the novel and the script, and now he's just trying to figure it out. But it's not it's not just him. This is not a one-sided thing. Ray also feels this strange connection with him, hence the line, "Don't be afraid, I feel it too." That line doesn't have much much context in the film and it kind of leads you wondering, but when we look at the script and the books to fill in the blanks, all of them in during this part of the of this scene focus on that this is the moment where the two have a f- odd feeling of familiarity with each other. Some may take this as evidence of as Rey being a Skywalker and I think that's that's perfectly valid. But the point in bringing this up is that these characters have an unsaid connection with each other that isn't finished in The Force Awakens. That this is going to grow and develop over the film- over the course of the film. So we don't know which way, but we know that this is a plot point that they are planning on expanding on. This plot point isn't going to be dropped because we have very recent updates to the databank bringing up the connection that they share three separate times. Two on Kylo's perspective and one on Rey's. They both feel this unsaid connection. This is the point in the novel where Snoke calls Kylo out for his compassion, and while this scene was filmed, it was deleted, because I feel like something very, very similar is going to play out at the beginning of The Last Jedi, and it actually makes more more sense in The Last Jedi, because at that point, he let Rey escape not once, but twice. And I'll say we can expect a similar compassion scene in The Last Jedi, which sparks Ky- Kylo's character motivation of going to Act 2 and prove that he has none of it, which... I think, we'll, we will see, it just doesn't happen. Or doesn't happen well. Kylo returns humiliated, determined, like, returns after Snoke calls him out, and he returns to the to the interrogation room, he's humiliated, he's determined to prove himself, and woo, ray has gone. Of course, he, uh, he shows compassion, or his, his own version of compassion, twice in the film. Once to Finn in the beginning, uh, where he notices that he doesn't shoot, and within once to Rey, and it backfires on him both times. And just to reiterate, Snoke himself is the one to call out his compassion towards Rey. I'm not just saying this because it fits this theory approach. It's something that was filmed, it was in the script at one point, and it remained in the novel. The lightsaber uh, battle on Starkiller is a beautiful parallel to Mustafar. Kylo's bleeding out, he's manic, clearly distraught, really confused. And the battle plays out, Rey wins, which, I mean... Kylo was basically dying the entire time, don't argue with that. And then the world splits between them and the databank, databank leaves us with this quote. He senses their destinies are intertwined, but how? Not really a push towards these characters going on two totally separate character arcs from this. Him offering to be her teacher is also a plot point that probably will not disappear if, if the trailer tells us anything. But let's talk about that connection and those intertwined destinies. A while back, I made a video about Force Bonds and why I think that we're going to see a variant of One in The Force Awakens. And this is where I'm going to put that audio here. Enjoy! Force bonds, also referred to as Force Chains or Jedi Kinships in some tellings, is a link in which two Force-sensitive users can influence each other. The most recognized Force bond being between Bastila and Revan from Knights of the Old Republic in the Old Expanded Universe, though at this time that is no longer canon, we do have canon versions of Force bonds still in existence. In Clone Wars we have an example of a Force bond between Dooku and Yoda, but I also believe there is an implied Force bond between Luke and Leia. Force bonds most commonly occur between Masters and students, but it is established that not many are truly formed due to Jedi teachings to not form such attachments. And Force Bonds are often brought to by passion. They're really strong bonds that allow communication through great distances, allow better battle coordination, and allow each other to borrow upon the other's strengths and abilities while strengthening the other. Any of this possibly sound familiar when it comes to the context of The Force Awakens? I believe so. And it even answers some fans biggest qualm with the film, how does Rey have such an understanding of the Force without any formal training. To me, it's all but confirmed an inevitable force bond between our antagonist and our protagonist in this film. And here is why. We can't speak without some speculation, of course, but it seems very heavily implied that Kylo at least has some idea of Rey before their formal meeting. Rey also has visions of Kylo before their paths ever cross, at least in her memory. So when their paths finally do cross, it's mentioned several times in the novel and mentioned in the script, they feel this odd, perhaps unsettling connection with each other. Kylo keeps mentioning this something he feels at least three times in the novel. They both recognize a familiar feeling with each other for a brief moment in the script, and even Rey in a way recognizes that she's drawn to him. If you believe the Skywalker theory, which I'm still not completely sold on, you could recognize these feelings as a possible familial bond. But if that's the case, why aren't those same feelings mentioned when she meets Leia? You can also argue that they just sense each other's force sensitivity, but wouldn't you think Kylo would be able to distinguish that? Because he is so absolutely undone and confused of what happened in the interrogation room, undoing years of training, that is the reason why he actually destroys the interrogation room in the novel. In the novelization he actually senses her escape and knows she won't be there when he goes back he goes back is because he's looking for clues of what exactly just happened between them. And he's so undone and confused by these emotions that he wrecks the place. Of course the film is edited in a different way, but I find the novelization version very interesting. But before she can escape, Rey suddenly understands and can perform one of the most difficult Jedi maneuvers, the Jedi mind trick, without ever knowing that it existed. (laughs) Again, she didn't even know the Jedi were real a day ago. We have yet to know an exact reason why this happened, aside from the Force. But a major component of the Force Bond is indeed borrowing upon the strengths or abilities of the one that you're bonded with. And it's pretty clear that Kylo's strengths are among the Jedi mind tricks. So it's been pretty heavily hinted at that just perhaps, Rey was able to gain knowledge of these abilities through her bond with Kylo. Especially given what had just happened between the two when they were in each other's minds in unison. I don't think Kylo is putting on any sort of act in this movie, especially with his emotion when he starts sifting through Rey's mind and brings up how lonely she's been, how afraid she is to leave. These are clearly things he relates to. His understanding only turns sour when he finds out that Rey thinks of Han as a father figure, because obviously Han was not one for him. The line, don't be afraid, I feel it too, to me reads in two different ways. The first one is to reassure Rey that this is not a pleasant experience for him, which he has a line about in the novel, and that he feels the same pain she does, which sharing pain is another component of a Force Bond. The second being that he senses Rey's fear of the connection that they have, and this line is Kylo's way of recognizing and admitting that he senses it too. We can also point out that during many of their scenes together, Kylo seems to be the calmer of the two while Rey seems to be the angry one, which could be a possible illusion on their influence on each other. He's very insistent and intense on becoming her teacher, which again, the bond is usually formed in that dynamic, though not always, but Kylo may sense that this is what his position is supposed to be in this relationship. Force bonds are basically being completely open and vulnerable to the other person. Your thoughts and feelings begin to melt together. And I believe you've already begun to see this happen, even in signs as subtle as the way Rey walks at the end of the lightsaber battle. Shoulders rolled back, arms sticking out a little bit, circling, and the way that she swings her saber, all basically Kylo's signature moves. Even in the symbolism of her outfit change at the end of the movie, we can see the dark side beginning to influence her. If we're taking any symbolism from the prior movies, people who wear darker clothes, tend to be fighting more with the darker side and she is obviously very susceptible to it as she does heavily rely on anger and fear during her lightsaber battle but from the outfit change going from primarily white to grey we are perhaps able to gather some symbolism there as the stronger of the two tends to be the heavier influencer on a force bond which to me the stronger of the two is Kylo at the moment despite him losing the lightsaber battle but he was shot and if he wanted to kill Rey, he could have But anyway, I find it really interesting and I'd love to see Rey battle the dark side with herself in the upcoming films. Even though J.J. Abrams has talked about this scene a little bit and how it was kind of a mistake. Uh, I like using the force bond as a reason why Leia instinctively goes to Rey over Chewbacca at the end of the movie, which is literally one of my, like, three problems with the film. But Leia admits that she finds herself acting extremely motherly to Rey, and it feels really natural to her. This could be she's a Skywalker evidence, but in the terms of a force bond, it might be Leia's ability to sense her son through Rey. Also, just for funsies, let's talk about similarities between Bastila and Revan, and Ben and Rey. Basil and Revan share the most famous force bond in all of Star Wars history. One of the reasons why it is so unbelievably fascinating is because it results in a love story between the light side and the dark side. Just by the images of the characters themselves, we can instantly see similarities in the characters' silhouettes. Revan, very similar to Kylo, and Bastila, very similar to Rey. Kylo and Revan both wear masks for symbolic reasons rather than any need to actually wear one. Kylo's lightsaber is canonically based on a design from the KOTOR era. Bastila also wields a double-bladed saber, which adds to the similarities of Rey's weapon, which is a staff. I mean, they both have British accents too, come on. But actually in terms of the character, I think Rey has more in common with Revan and Bastila more in common with The fact that Rey establishes that she doesn't remember anything before Jakku may imply that just too much time has passed for her to really remember anything, or that she was potentially mind wiped, just as Revan was. I also suspect if her mind was wiped it may have something to do with the dark side, but I can't really speak more on that without speculating too much. In Bastila, the light side user at one point gets corrupted by the dark side, and it is Revan's decision in the end either to save her or rejoin the dark side as well. Bastila has a very complicated relationship with her family, having a very less than happy relationship with her mother, especially for giving her away to the Jedi Order and taking her family away from her, the storyline to me echoes the one of Kylo Ren. Bastila also had a gift for the Jedi technique of battle meditation, which without going into it too much she had an innate ability to go inside other people's heads, which again to me correlates with Kylo Ren. And eventually at one point during the game she is corrupted and as you play as Revan your choice to save her or rejoin her in the dark side. While they do share similarities with their gender matches as well, I see more potential similarities in their gender swaps. We're just dropped somewhere else in the timeline. For a lot of similarities, I just wanted to bring it up to share that KOTOR could possibly influence The Force Awakens. Now, I adore the idea of a force bond for many reasons. I'm a big fan of faded relationships, uh, be it platonic, familial, or romantic. But yeah, I'm a big fan of these relationships, especially in fairy tales such as Star Wars. I think this would create an absolutely amazing conflict for the characters in the upcoming films, while resulting in an understanding of each other that the audience wouldn't otherwise see. We can see Rey's struggle with the dark side from a new perspective and Kylo's conflict of feeling any sort of real connection with anyone when he's so desperate to separate himself from them. Rules of a force bond can obviously change because a lot of it is no longer canon but I hope they come back into play because I think they are tragically beautiful relationships and would add a character complexity between the antagonist and the protagonist that I'm a huge sucker for. Especially given that if a force bond is broken say perhaps by a death of a character it leaves this other with this painful Heartbreaking hole in their soul adding a whole new layer to their inevitable rematch. Anyway guys just a theory But no matter what I really look forward to seeing Rey and Kylo's rivalry Now needless to say for any bond to truly form and and stick, Kylo needs to get his act together Uh, A lot of people have a hard if not impossible time seeing past the fact that he killed Han Solo and as his death was spoiled for me I was devastated and thought I would never recover from this. I cried. I, like, hearing the spoiler, I actually did cry. But then after time, I was falling more and more in love with Kylo's potential story arc, and while the act is horrible, and again, he's a bad guy, he's- When it comes to redemption, redemption means you did bad things. You need to do bad things in order to go through a redemption arc. So yes, while the act is horrible, it could have a much bigger purpose in the story we don't know yet. And Harrison and Harrison wanted Han's death to be a character motivator and has for a very long time. Some think Kylo's redemption is impossible. I do disagree. I think if Vader can redeem, be redeemed, so can anyone. If love and compassion can save Vader, I don't see why love and compassion can't save Kylo. It seems to be valued if the feeling of love and compassion comes from a male character it makes them stronger but for some reason it seems to weaken female characters because I don't know I can't put my finger on it I'm sorry there's gonna be a lot of sarcasm here about the differences of how we view male and female characters in a way uh, we we see that Kylo's roles inverse to Vader's we start off him being full on Vader, but we chip away and we're starting to see pieces of Anakin inside him. And while I don't think "Raylo" in itself is a a term that can only describe romance, but it's also a spiritual bond slash journey, I do think added romance of it- At uh, I do like the added romance of it in the end of the day because Kylo wasn't destined to be Vader. For Anakin, his love and attachments are what caused him to fall to the dark side. And I think it would be a nice story parallel over the course of nine films to see that compassion and love for another can inspire you to change for the better and bring you home. Especially when you have a character who's so determined to be Darth Vader. But here I am going to insert another clip of my discussion of Kylo's redemption uh, revolving around Han Solo and how I think it can build a fuller story. This was made about a month after the film came out. So there's a lot of outdated information, but my stances on the themes have remained uh, fairly similar. So go to the clip, other Courtney. Can Kylo Ren be redeemed? It's no doubt that the new Star Wars baddie is a fan favorite, I am no exception, but do you think we can expect to see a redemption arc from him? Now I'm a huge sucker for redemption arcs, so I would love to see a redemption arc happen for who could end up taking the place of Obi-Wan as my all-time favorite character in the Star Wars franchise, but even I admit that after the events of the last film, it seems like this is going to be a very difficult task. But what if? And I mean, what if? The act that made Kylo so irredeemable to many is actually the one that redeemed him. While some do want to see him become further immersed in the dark side, we essentially saw this develop happen with Anakin, so I would love to see this take a different turn. So while I do like approaching the movie like this, we'll have to see if it has any truth to it. So let's get to the scene in question. Before I keep going, uh, there's gonna be a lot of spoilers. This is... Major spoiler! In about 20 seconds I'll tell you the biggest spoiler in the movie! If you haven't seen the movie yet and you don't want to be spoiled, Which I'm not sure how you haven't already, uh, stop watching now. So yeah, let's get to the scene in question, Han's death scene. Now we see this scene as actually Kylo taking the plunge into the dark side completely. And though that is what I do believe is intended, let's actually take this scene as the key to Kylo's redemption. Han is one of my favorite characters, so when this scene happened, or when it was spoiled for me, I was massively devastated. I thought for sure I would hate Kylo, but he actually came out of that movie being my favorite character. I can't see the story progressing to this degree without it. But yeah, let's break down this scene from a different perspective. Hello and Han are standing on this bridge. Which, if I were on that bridge I would have fallen off immediately because where are the armwrails? They had this confrontation where we see Kylo is clearly distraught, pathetic, and lost. According to the script notes and the novelization, this is the first time Han has seen his son as an adult. And he's breaking down like a child. That alone is truly heartbreaking. Han pleads with his son to come home, that his mother and him miss him. And while Kylo tries to defend Snoke, Han and the script notes imply that Kylo knows that Snoke is just using him as a tool. Kylo knows this. It's too late, he responds. But the way he says this means something else. It doesn't mean, It's too late dad, I'm all evil, there's nothing left to save. It means it as, I've done too much. There's no way I could be forgiven. There's no way I could forgive myself. I'm being torn apart. You see a boy who clearly doesn't know what to do. He doesn't belong with Snoke, but he can't really go home either. I want to be free of this pain. I know what I need to do, but I don't know if I have the strength to do it. This line, we already don't really know what it means. We can understand it as either Kylo wanting to come home or killing Han. But what if it's actually ending his own life? Will you help me? Han says anything. Kylo takes out the saber but this is where we have to pay special attention to how he hands the saber to Han He takes out the saber in his dominant hand in a way that it would be very easy for him to activate it. But we cut away, and when we cut back, he's actively flipped the saber and placed it into Han's dominant hand. The way Kylo gives Han the saber puts Han in control, giving Han the opportunity to use it with ease. At this point, Han realizes what Ben is asking him to do, which is why he hesitates, instead of just grabbing the saber if he was honestly just handing it over, which is why he lingers long enough for Kylo to be able to change his mind. Some people theorize that Han actually turned the saber on himself, hoping it would give his son some peace of mind. but in this theory it actually is Kylo's decision and because it is his decision. Is why he is redeemable. It is isn't Jedi Code and this is emphasized many times in the prequels, especially with Anakin. It's put the lives of many over the life of one. Han's death will save the galaxy. Snoke has instructed Kylo to kill Han. Snoke already distrusts Kylo and sees him question his choices. And up to this point we have no idea how much access Kylo has had to Snoke's physical form, but we do know this. At the end of the movie it is instructed to Hux to bring Kylo to Snoke. Through the action of killing his own father, Kylo will have access to Snoke's physical form. The light of the sun sun fades and darkness takes over. Starkiller base is ready to be used again. We have script and novel notes, which again, if you haven't checked out the script or the novel, please do, there's so much great stuff in it. We have script and novel notes that clearly state Kylo does not want to use this weapon. And even in the film, his lack of a presence during the ceremony where the Republic, which very well could be where Kylo grew up given his mother's place in the government, is destroyed. Him not being there is evidence that maybe he doesn't support this weapon. But notes in the script do say when Hux and Snoke decide to finally use the weapon, This is not what Kylo wanted at all. Now on the bridge, we see that the weapon is ready to be used again. This time aiming for the resistance. How many more millions of people will he need to feel scream and agony all at once and then nothing? Like what Obi-Wan experienced with Alderaan. Kylo cannot die yet because he is the only one who can stop this. And it is extremely time sensitive. He needs access to Snoke as soon as possible. He needs to earn his trust. If he wants to end the reign of Snoke for good, he must put the lives of many over the life of one which, unfortunately for him, is his own father. He grabs the saber himself and turns it to his father. Thank you. His sacrifice will in turn save the entire galaxy. Han went out the way he should have. His death is no longer a ploy so that his, uh, son can be fully Pledge to the dark side, but one that will eventually save millions. When this happens, we see a face of somebody who is obviously not okay with what just happened. Again, read the novelization and the script notes, you get a lot of Kylo's almost inner dialogue, uh, knowing what's going through his head during this scene, and it's very clear that he is not totally okay with what just happened. It's clear in the movie, too, but... Kylo is shot, takes it like a champ, but again, really too devastated to feel any more pain than he already does. He looks up and sees Rey and Finn. We can assume he thinks the shot came from them, but the camera focuses on Finn. He's angry at Finn. This is important that this direction is at Finn because right now, it is Finn's fault that Han had to die. Kylo having to kill his father was Finn's fault. Finn had essentially stolen Kylo's life, but Kylo had probably fought within himself to do countless times. Even the First Order, being forgiven, taken in, received his parents' love and affection, and who was reunited with Rey, who I do believe Kylo and Rey know each other from the past. This should have been Kylo's life, not Finn's. Kylo really has no one to blame but himself, but at this point, he's willing to point fingers. And on top of all of that, all Kylo wanted throughout this movie was the information on the droid, the droid Finn helped escape, the droid that Finn brought to Han. And upon Snoke knowing that information that Han had the droid, is when Kylo was tasked with the burden of killing his father. Kylo's obviously not in a super great place right now He's not emotionally stable He just killed his father a task he didn't want to do It was just shot I mean, I get irrationally angry when I stub a toe Trust me, I know it I just did it before I filmed this video and I was very mad Now the man who stole his life is getting away And to make matters worse, let's cut to the forest scene Finn has the saber Saber that's been passed down the Skywalker line So in that aspect it does belong to Kylo But again Finn has taken another thing from his life. He has the saber. We don't really know how Kylo knows about the saber or what he knows about the saber. We can assume it's a similar force feeling as Rey when you can't think of a reason just blame the force. Again we see Finn has replaced him. I also think it is very important to point out how little anger Kylo harbors towards Rey comparatively. But Rey always attacks first or at least tries to. Kylo actually makes a point of this in the book saying he was merely trying to defend himself and even makes a who shot first joke. But in the forest he only uses the lightsaber to deflect while she is shooting at him. Rey has her blaster pointed ready to shoot when Kylo disarms her and throws her up against a tree. Lastly when Rey gets control of the lightsaber she is the one to activate it and charge him. You need a teacher I can show you the ways of Let's go to the novelization, shall we? This is actually one of my favorite scenes in the novelization, if not my favorite. Snoke, word for word, tells Kylo that he feels compassion for Rey. And I think using the term compassion is very important, especially if you listen to Anakin's definition of the word uh, from Attack of the Clones. Compassion is essentially the Jedi term for unconditional love. Whether or not this is platonic, familial, or potentially romantic, we won't discuss But Kylo denies this affection, but Snoke recognizes that he is lying, saying it is not her strength, but his weakness, too as why he was so easily defeated in the interrogation room. Snoke then instructs Kylo to bring Rey to him, and he will show him the power of the dark side, which to me sounds like he's planning on taking Rey out of the picture as a threat. When he offers to be Rey's teacher, this may be already going behind Snoke's back. This is the first time he's met a potential equal in the Force in god knows how long and wants to train her to help him win the battle against the dark side master who took his life away now i especially enjoy thinking about the movie like this because it gives han's death a great purpose like it should have been han's death saves the galaxy han was still able to save his son like leia was so determined that he could do and we are led to think that's no longer possible but the truth is it's already happened i don't think this will be clear in the next movie sadly but who knows maybe kylo's true intentions are the big twist of the next movie As a whole, I think Ray and Kylo come from very similar places emotionally. Both are super hung up on their feelings of abandonment, and they are now desperately trying to find their place in history, whether they want to acknowledge they belong there or not. We know that Kylo relates to Ray, and often when he is speaking of things uh, that he implies to her, he's speaking about himself, like, you've been so lonely, so afraid to leave, and in the, in the most recent trailer, we have his line about destroying your past, killing it if you have to. It's the only way of figuring out who we were meant to be. Unless Kylo is giving himself a pump-up talk in the mirror, or reciting, like, dark side passages to Snoke, I'm pretty sure that really the only option is this line is delivered to Rey at one point, but it's masked in the trailers if he was talking to himself. This could be just a line ADR just for the trailer, but if it does show up in the film, I am fairly confident that this line is directed towards Rey. Because both of them are limiting themselves because of their past. One has just taken it a little bit too far. And like Ryan Johnson has said in recent interviews, um, to him, Star Wars, and this particular story in The Last Jedi is about the healthy and not so healthy separation from one's parents as you are going through your adolescence and growing up and becoming an adult. And that this is a heightened allegory because that's how we relate and we can relate more widely on that note, let's let's talk about the criticism for the theory. But long story short, initial feelings and gut reactions are valid. But it just doesn't mean that's what it was intended. And it doesn't mean you can tell people to kill themselves. That's, that's what this is about. I think all your gut feelings, you, you can't control them. They're They're just what is inside you. But nothing validates you telling somebody to kill themselves or throwing awful words at them over an interpretation of fiction. So, uh, some people, are, of course, are very sure Ray is a Skywalker, so clearly a romance between Ray and Kylo is not in the cards. Like I said, I don't- I don't believe Rey is a Skywalker at this point. I could be proven wrong. I think we've had plenty of evidence to show that she is not related, but some people are still really holding on to that theory. The fact that he's the villain is brought up a lot, which, I mean, it's true. He's the villain. He's the antagonist. He's the antagonist at this point, but uh, so was Anakin, so was Ventress, so was Revan. Star Wars, at its core, it's about redemption and atonement, and we even have a quote about from George Lucas about uh, Revenge of the Sith, and well, actually, the prequel trilogy as a well. whole, and it's, and he says that like Star Wars as a whole is about learning that the person you thought was the villain, was actually the victim, and he's like that's what Star Wars was about, and if they're keeping up with this theme. I mean, I think we're going to see some pretty fucked up shit Snoke's done. And also, some people have brought up, like, who's the, the villain if Kylo gets redeemed? We have plenty, plenty of other bad guys to take his place uh, for redemption's in the cards. Snoke, Phasma, Hux, and whatever other characters may make their debut, but it's pretty clear that Snoke is the big bad. Others, others do bring up uh, more sensitive cho- uh, topics. And uh, so I do want to put a little bit of a warning for the next minute or so. And while I severely disagree with these comparisons, I do want to bring them up in this discussion because I don't want to I don't want people to think I'm ignoring their concerns if you've made it this far. First and foremost, some have compared their relationship between Rey and Kylo as reflecting one of abuse. I will tread this topic very very carefully because I know everyone has a different has different life experiences. Um, I do too, but to me this ship isn't if, if we're going to compare it to other like fictional ships that um, have been called out for abuse, like Joker and Harley, the ship isn't to compared to isn't to be compared with Joker and Harley. In in fact, if you're going to go in the Batman universe, I find it more comparable to Batman and, and Catwoman. Joker and Harley are in a relationship. One clearly loves the other, and that is often used to manipulate and abuse. Batman and Catwoman start off as these these two sides of the same coin and grow and develop to revolve around each other. They start off as enemies, but there's a growth in their relationship and what they want. And depending on the universe you're in, they have a really cool, interesting relationship. There's a difference between uh, already being in a romantic relationship and having that manipulated and abused and starting off as enemies and growing to understand each other. Because where we stand, uh, Rey and Kylo have no relationship whatsoever. I'm not saying that Ray is secretly in love, which a lot of people have also just reduced this to. No one's saying that. I do think Kylo has some pretty complex feelings going on. Again, by Snoke calling out his compassion, I think the word compassion is very important, is if you uh, pay attention to Anakin's uh, definition of it uh, in uh, Attack of the Clones. But yeah, right now they just don't have a relationship besides enemies on the opposite sides of war. It's the subtext and foreshadowing through myth and meta that makes some people think it may develop more in the future. But where we stand, they're enemies on different sides of war. A relationship really can't be compared, like, this is a relationship that just can't really be compared to the betrayal and abuse of trust between friends or romantic partners. This is a standard hero and villain relationship in the fairy tale genre. It doesn't have a direct translation to real life. When we have two men in these roles, we don't view Luke as this helpless victim victim who can't pick themselves up when they are down. But Rey is placed as one, even though she's victorious in both her face-offs with Kylo, and I can't seem to put my finger on what the difference is between those characters. I don't know, maybe it will come to me. And it, like I keep saying, if you made it this far, because I'm sure I'm losing people, throughout this, but if you made it this far and you're about to say, hey, I heard JJ Abrams said, no, that story is that that story is false. There's no proof of it. But other members of the Lucasfilm team have said that this has never been happened or never happened or ever been discussed and that it's not their own reading in the slightest. On the other hand, JJ has made comments that we have audio clips of of Ray and Kylo having a very interesting relationship moving forward. The aforementioned comments about Kylo looking like a prince while Rey represents Cinderella and he writes Star Wars like a fairy tale and in order to write a fairy tale you need a castle and a prince and a princess and he also says that we get a sense that something else more is going on when Kylo first meets Rey on a very related note please do not harass Lucasfilm employees or back them into corners over these things either side of the coin don't do it let fandom drama be fandom drama just don't bother Lucasfilm employees. So, um, yeah, some just find it hard to see into the future for these characters. They think Kylo's final act in the film was to solidify his place in the dark side, and that's it. Um, I mean, we don't know. Uh, with everything we've heard from the actors and Ryan, I don't think that's the case. My viewing of the film has, uh, has him more conflicted than ever. And that is corroborated by multiple sources. But I can't argue with people saying misdirection and then fading into the fog. I just don't think Lucasfilm is lying to us all the time. I could be proven wrong. I I just don't think misdirection is a good argument. And then others would like to see Ray without a love interest or Ray to end up with Finn or another character and both are totally all right and great ways to think. Uh, there are plenty of reasons why both these alternatives could totally happen. This is just a difference of story directions and preference. Uh, one is based more in myth and lore and the other is based on more of the context we've seen in TFA alone. So either reading again is fine, it's just a story preference. On a note of this, uh, a love story does not make a character weak, especially for female characters. There's a big difference between a love story and someone who is reduced to a love interest. And I often hear that Ray having a love interest would weaken her character, and I hear this mostly from the male perspective. Thank you. Uh it's sed- like it really saddens me that so many people think that having a romantic life partner weakens you. And while there have been some pretty awful love stories out there, I'm not saying everyone is perfect, and I understand what people's hesitation, but as a whole, if you choose to marry or have a partner in your life, that person should always make your life better. It, it, if you feel their existence makes you less of a person or weakens you, that is not a good relationship. A good love story should bring you both up and make you a better person. Every per- relationship you choose to have in your life, be it friendship, romantic, or whatever, should make you want to be a better person. Uh, that said, what does Rey gain from Kylo? Clearly, Kylo could benefit. In some form of Reylo... Um, if some so if some form of Raylo to uh, unfold in these movies, Ky- uh, Kylo would clearly be on the track back to the light, um, peace of mind, and would fight the good fight. Uh, it clearly makes him a better person. But what does Ray gain? I don't think love is a game of deserving each other, earning each other. I don't think anyone's a prize. But in a story of fiction, I think Ray can. Gained some ease about a lot of her past by sharing and understanding with Kylo, because she is broken too. She could have easily become Kylo given her own struggles with loneliness and abandonment, and personally, I think she was supposed to become him, essentially. I think Snoke will take advantage that she has no family ties holding her back like Kylo does, making her a better candidate for his dark-sidedness if her powers truly are equal to Kylo's. She has this raw strength that reflects Kylo's journey, and we we know it does, and this inner turmoil that is rooted in a similar place, and we very well see how the dark side can can destroy you, and if Rey can see this through Kylo's journey, it can very well save Rey's well-being. Uh, Teaming up or forming an alliance would potentially be very beneficial for the both of them and bring balance to the Force, perhaps once and for all. We have Kylo who sees... To who sees her power and immediately wants to teach her slash to help her. He's not afraid of her. And while we will soon be introduced to Luke again, he is, if the trailer proves to be correct, he is much more than reluctant to teach somebody of this caliber again, using fear of her as his cause. Kylo is the darkness with the pull to the light and Rey is the light with some darkness inside of her. They represent this yin and yang of the story, and there's an interesting beauty to it. Uh, one is not the others to fix, but they're both broken in very similar ways. Uh, Anakin brought balance to the forest by limiting all people who took it to the extremes, and with introductions of the Bendu and Rebels, and the Mortis arc and Clone Wars, it is looking like finding balance between the light and the dark is an important step to finding peace. Their dynamic is very anima animus, and uh, Ryan Johnson himself said on Twitter that he read Carl Jung as inspiration in preparation for The Last Jedi. I'd like to thank uh, Jedi Wine Trick on Tumblr for this write up on uh, Carl Jung and his uh, studies. Uh, anima slash animus, in the literary sense, is used to show two parts of the psyche coming together in unison. At first, the two sides are at odds because we are meant to see the conflict of one's own mind. They also play into yin and yang. The point of anima animus, the yin and yang, is that we need both sides equally to be a whole person. Uh, we need the dark parts of ourselves as much as we need the light parts of ourselves. You cannot live a whole life without passion and ambition. Even if you think yourself as cool-headed and focused, how would anything ever get accomplished or, prop- or would how would you properly care for those you love and yourself without passion? One needs both a career to survive and hobbies and interests to have a reason to live. The Jedi Need to End. And the, the Clone Wars, uh, we kind of see that the Jedi are corrupt as well. Feelings of selfishness and fear and attachment and love are normal things and shouldn't be shamed, but instead undressed. We can all fall off the right path and think we are lost forever, but there's always a way home. There will always be someone who wants to help you, even when you are lost yourself. And that, that's the basis of Raylo. It's finding balance within the Force. That the rep- the repression of love and passion and attachment is just as destructive to the psyche as acts of selfishness and fear. Explorations of characters like Kylo and Rey are very, are really important to me. We've all been in really dark places, and some, some more dark than others. And feelings of my past haunt me on a daily basis. But the explor the explore- the exploration of psyche and media, especially the darker aspects of it, um, and that it can. In ways that it can be redeemed or understood are extremely powerful. And the Force abilities are able to amplify these struggles that really strike a lot of people in relatable and, again, not so relatable ways. Sometimes I do take things too personally, admittedly. As someone who relates mostly to Kylo in the TFA um, in terms of the, an emotional state, it does really sting to some people negate him as some privileged white, white boy school shooter. I know my reading is different than others, but seeing Ryan, JJ, and Adam talk about Kyla's character journey has really helped me come to my own terms with my own struggles of not being good enough, of imposter syndrome, and not having a proper place in the world when you feel like you're, you're supposed to be doing something and kind of destroying yourself and sabotaging yourself because of it. And that's why finding your way back is important to me because I know that's how I related to the story. That's how I related to the story. And everyone everyone has different perspectives. Hence why some people hate 2005 Pride and Prejudice for some ungodly reason, but that's my favorite movie. So so no, no matter what it says, some people will just see it differently, but this is how I how I approached it and how I s- related to it. And uh, why I want redemption for Kylo, why I want Rey to be able to acknowledge her dark side and express her struggles because so many new age strong female characters are there to res- represent stoic strength instead of uh, character growth. Um, on another added fun fact, though, other actors reading for Kylo Ren during auditions were asked to read passages from Pride and Prejudice, if that helps you at all in the evidence category. We can see visuals of the posters that the, that two Ray and Kylo always seem to parallel each other. The, the teaser poster heavily implies that Luke and Kylo will represent two parts of Rey's journey in understanding her place, the trailer itself implies Kylo will play a major role in this. While these scenes are spliced together from two different sections of the movie, I can say with certainty that, that this theme is not a misdirect. And to quote the Good Place, uh, it's extremely rare, like a double rainbow." Or someone on the internet saying, "You're right, you convinced me." Uh, Raylo Re- isn't about them making out. That it's it's a basis of myth- uh, it's a basis of mythology and subtext and compassionate character growth. Uh, I am going to draw fan art of whatever the hell I please, so peace out. Um, I'm not here to change mine, but maybe just to form some understanding, because that is what this whole dynamic is even about. See you next time.